Well, I invite you all to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew. Matthew chapter 2 we'll be looking at today. And if you uh, don't happen to have a Bible with you, there's some handy on the ends of the pews. You'd be welcome to, uh, to borrow for the worship service. And uh, I want to mention again that as we uh, walk through this Advent series we've been going through and we'll conclude it on Christmas uh, Eve, that, uh, that we are in this time uh, not only looking at, at some of the things we've seen over the last few weeks, which are, are really refreshing and, and exciting and delightful of the Magi coming and rejoicing in this little one who's come as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, uh, them bringing their gifts. We also saw when Joseph was revealed by the angel that the identity of this little one, that that he was told that he would save the people from their sins. Wonderful news that he was Emmanuel, God with us, that in the midst of this, it's also a, a really dark time. It's a lot of darkness and brokenness in the Christmas story. We saw the sort of uh, guilt-ridden genealogy, the horrible human heritage that leads up, that the scriptures make a real point to emphasize to us in Matthew one, leading up to Joseph and in the sort of human line of Jesus in that sense on Joseph's side. And then we began to see last week and we'll continue to see an even more uh, uh, brutal demonstration in our passage this week, the, the tenacity of this wicked king Herod to try to squash out this new king that was coming into the world as he tried to protect his little realm and keep control over things there and wasn't willing to yield and submit to this king of kings, he responded against him instead of in submission and in recognition of this one Jesus. And so we'll, we'll see that today. And as you recall, uh, last week we were leading into this point of our verse 13 for today. I invite you to stand with me as I read it aloud. We stand just in recognition of the power and the truth and the majesty of God's word. And we'll see again this, uh, the, the sadness, the brokenness of the Christian uh, Christmas message that compels us to run to Jesus and to see in even greater glory all of what he's done uh, for us. So let me read aloud as you read along silently. Uh, Verse 13, this is immediately after the wise men have left after they visited uh, Jesus. Now when they departed, the wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that had been ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are 
no more. You may be seated, and as you do, let me pray for us again. Oh, Father, this is a, uh, not an easy passage to uh, walk through, uh, to understand, to uh, grapple with, particularly at this time of year, and, and yet we want to be faithful to your word and walk through it and see what it has to teach us, and so we pray today that you would just lay before us all that you want us to see, and we actually pray, Lord, that even in places where these verses might be difficult or challenging, that that you would touch our lives and change them for your glory and for our good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I guess I don't have to inform us that we're coming into the end of yet another college football season. And for for some, this is an exciting time preparing for bowl games, maybe even the big bowl game for uh, others, you know, the season is already over. Things have, have wrapped up uh, for us. And we have certainly confessed throughout the fall, collectively and probably individually, that we can have a tendency to uh, get a little bit too caught up in these things of football teams and star uh, athletes, that we can probably devote maybe a little bit too much time to those matters and not enough time to maybe some other more important things before the Lord. And we, we do that with good reason. We acknowledge that. And, and yet at the same time, there's some really good things that we learn from our adulation of whatever our team or squad is and our excitement about their victories and our sadness when they undergo losses and particularly the way we look at maybe that star player, that one who leads the team. And it works like this, whether... We're talking about A.J. McCarron, whether it's Nick Marshall or whoever you might get excited about as, as that sort of champion goes on the field and as they, as the centerpiece of our team, represent who all that excitement and energy is for that team, our hearts go up with their success and they go down with their struggles and disappointments. In a sense, they're representing us on the field. Uh, Some of us are too young and too small here to get out on the field. Most of us too old and lacking too much uh, ability, uh, not having enough skill at all to ever be able to consider setting foot on the field. And so we got to have somebody out there for us. And it's an amazing thing to watch them do their thing and be excited about it with them. We can parlay this aspect, maybe this one only, from our love for college athletics to the Scriptures. We see in our passage today this interesting idea that somehow Jesus is going down, even as just a little child, to Egypt. And as he's going there, fleeing from Herod in the midst of what just looks like a huge Uh, ferocious temper tantrum by this King Herod that he's actually doing something that changes each one of our lives. He's actually representing us. He's our champion, our hero on the field. And the, the scriptures lay that out in all kinds of other ways in other passages. We'll touch on a couple of them today, but it's it's right here as well 
in our scriptures. And if you want to write some notes, there's a section in the back of your worship guide. I didn't have any bullets down there for you today. But the, the main idea then that I hope we'll see from our verses today is that Jesus perfectly represents God's people. He perfectly represents God's people. And therefore, he gives you and me hope in a very dark world. As we look at our verses today, one of the things that kind of jumps off the surface is that when, uh, when Jesus appears to be losing, just, in the, you know, just take this little section of Scripture, not even the whole rest of his life and ministry, but when he appears to be losing, I mean, they got a, they're on the run. They're headed out of town in the middle of the night packing bags and headed to Egypt of all places. That's not exactly what the people of God consider the promised location. When he appears to be losing, he's actually victorious. When he appears to be completely at the mercy of earthly powers and forces, he's actually reigning. And when sorrow, like this passage describes, seems to have slipped right past the Savior of the world. He is at that same time bringing comfort. Bringing comfort. Well, I want you to see this idea that he's our representative first from this passage. And then we're going to break down and look at how he does that and why it means so much uh, for us. The first thing we see is in verse 15. It says at the end, that all of this stuff, which again seems like a random escape in the middle of the night, except for the fact that an angel directed them to do it, all of this escape and flight to Egypt actually has a purpose. It actually means something in God's redemptive plan and scheme. It says at the end of that verse that this would fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now, this is interesting if you know just a little bit of your Bible. What, what were the people of God doing throughout most of the early part of the Old Testament in relation to Egypt? They were trying to get out of there. That's all of what Moses is about, is he not? He's coming and leading his people and taking them out. Here we see this situation where Jesus, who would be the ultimate leader for his people, is actually going in. Egypt. We not only uh, see that, but as the passage says, out of Egypt I called my son, it's, it's really talking about all of God's people as his children, collectively. Just as we, through Christ, can be numbered as God's children, this passage is reminding us that not only is there this leader, Moses, that's meant to be reflected upon here, but there's this fact that the whole people of God are being brought out as well. Exodus chapter 20 reminds us of this. Remember right before the Ten Commandments? I know you've got all those memorized and think about them each day, but right before the Ten Commandments, it says this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So all of this is meant to point to us sort of by contrast, by Jesus going down into Egypt and then coming back up. I mean, he's got to go down there so that he can come out He's, he's meant to parallel the history of God's people, what Moses did and, and how the people came out as a group. All that says to us that when we read these verses, when we read the Christmas story, we ought to be looking at Jesus as that champion, 
That one who does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So let's follow uh, this track uh, for us today. And I think one way that will be helpful for us to dig into this a little bit deeper, if you, if you don't mind, is to turn over in your Bible to the book of Romans. The book of Romans. And let's take a look at a couple verses from chapter 5, which also remind us about Jesus' work as our representative, as our righteousness. It says in verse 6 of Romans chapter 5, Romans is after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, after Acts, as you get further towards the back of the Bible. Romans 5, 6, For while we were still weak, this is a passage that we're looking at today. These people are, Jesus is in a weak place, identifying with his people. And, and, and although a lot of times we feel pretty strong in certain areas of our life, if we're honest, when we're kind of laying our head on our pillow at night, there's things that really make us feel pretty weak. And recognize that we need someone to be strong on our behalf. It says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One person will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us as our representative on behalf of us. Since, therefore, we've now been justified, that's a a, a theological term, it just means declared righteous, by His blood, much more. Shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received our reconciliation. We're attached to to Jesus and what he does, we get to do. As he's resurrected up, as he conquers death, we get to be a part of that. And this passage in Matthew that we're looking at today is, is talking about how that begins right at that point when Jesus is coming into the world. We're linked to him, our rescue from spiritual Egypt, if you will, is tied to him. And then we see this as well, and we'll unpack this in a moment a little bit more. We also see that Jesus brings incredible comfort. Because this isn't just a passage about how Jesus represents us. It's a passage about how he represents us in the face of a really dark world. The weeping that's described here. The loss of life. The passage saying she will not be comforted it cries out for some kind of help someone to come and lift our hearts lift our lives to have a joy that's that's somehow going to be impenetrable even by the things of this life and it certainly points as jesus at this point in the control i guess you'd say of his parents escapes death and goes down to egypt how later on He would choose to put himself right in the bullseye of death for my sake and for yours. Let's talk then about some of the things the passage shows us. So we're back to our Matthew chapter 2 passage about uh, how Jesus does this, how he represents us and gives us hope 
in a world that's pretty dark. And the verse doesn't talk a lot about this, but probably the first application point would be that Jesus gives us hope in a world that's darkened by our own brokenness and lostness and sin. We see a lot of other folks with Herod and so forth in this passage. We'll get to that in a minute. But, of course, the message of the Scriptures throughout and the message of Christmas is that we we need somebody to represent us because we've got a problem with ourselves, with our own soul, with the direction of our lives being bent away from the Lord. This idea of representation is shown again in Hebrews uh, chapter 4. You don't need to turn there. I'll flip over there if I can uh, get to it where the scriptures remind us of the high priest who was, who was a representative of the people of God. He, there was nothing inherently special about that person. He, just, he was appointed to get up and represent them in the worship service and in the relationship, I guess you would say, with God. And it says there, just a couple of verses, 14 of chapter 4 in Hebrews, Since then we have a great high priest, He's talking about Jesus, the, the fulfillment of that Old Testament high priest, who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Let's, let's hold on to what we believe about him. Why? Why should we hold on tightly to who Jesus is and what he does for us? It says, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then it concludes this way. Let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. It gives us hope in the midst of the darkness of our own sin. Do we believe that today as even in the midst of these celebratory times with family and buying gifts and so forth, we see our selfishness, our discontentment, our lack of forgiveness for others, our impure thinking, our, our unjustified anger, all of these things coming out, and they're sort of heightened by the fact that, hey, wait a minute, this is like supposed to be a special time focused on the Lord. makes it even more obvious and apparent of our need for one to represent us in Jesus the second thing we see in this passage, though, goes beyond that. It's not just that the world's kind of darkened by the fact that each one of us has some serious darkness inside of us that needs fixed. The world's darkened by folks out there that cause a lot of damage to other people. Look at what Herod does here. He's just trying to control his little realm. We can get that way sometimes, too, can't we? Or we've been around people like that trying to control their little realm, and they start to harm folks around them. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's dangerous when people that uh, just, just start firing in every direction. You never know what's going to be hit. And sometimes we feel like that in the world. We're, we're getting hit from every direction because of the sin that's out there coming from others. I had the uh, privilege yesterday afternoon, as some of you all have observed on Facebook, of, uh, of going with my twin boys. You know, I've got four, four boys age 10 on down to, to five. So I took the, the middle of the eight-year-olds out to do a little uh, deer hunting. And I've taken the, uh, the older one before as well. And, and our host was gracious enough to not only have us on his property, but to uh, offer up to my boys uh, two real live BB guns to take with them into the, 
uh, shooting house, which was about, you know, me wide and then room enough for one other person. So not only do I have this, you know, legitimate live firearm of my own that, I'm, that I've got over in the corner and kind of keeping an eye on, but for three and a half hours, I've got two eight-year-olds swinging around loaded BB guns inside there. I'm just, I was just waiting to get pegged in the back of the head with a, with a BB shot. And it's a little bit like that when we're out into the world. You know, you, you don't even have to step out of your house. Husband and wife, we, we kind of dump our sin on one another. But you step out the front door and you run into workplace politics. And a lot of us are about to go to some family gatherings where there'll be some sin and the impact of sin on one another. Maybe we'll deal with some abuse situations that we're still working through. Maybe it's just the apathy of other people around about us. Maybe people just, there's just sin out there and that people don't really care. People don't really love. People don't really serve. All of those things are part of this broken world. And when we read about Herod and we read about the loss and the crying out for comforting, it's really interesting that the passage that's listed here, that's quoted from Jeremiah, and you don't need to turn there, but Jeremiah 31 is the the verses we read about the weeping and the mothers calling out and so forth. It's It's a sad, sad passage we read here, but it's interesting what comes right after that in the book of Jeremiah as we think about one of the ways Jesus brings light and brings hope to us in a darkened world. These verses we read, verse 18, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Right after that, in Jeremiah 31, it says this. Hear hear these words and really take some comfort from it today. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For there's a reward in your work, declares the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There's a hope for your future. Is Ephraim my dear son? Ephraim referring to God's people. Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. This is the Lord talking to his people. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. That's the kind of promise, that's the kind of passage that can really bring us comfort. That's part of what Jesus is trying to do as our representative. And then the last thing we see in these verses, and again, it's, it's probably not explicit, but you look at what Herod does here and how vicious it is and how vile it is. And you look around and see the things that happen to us that aren't just small or minute. There's some big things going on in the world that really are evil. And even if you're not a person who usually thinks about spiritual things, you probably have to start to think, maybe there's some other evil capacity or power behind the brokenness that we see around us. And it's interesting because as we think about Jesus being a representative and we read these verses right here in Matthew 2, and we see Herod and his evil that kind of represents the evil one that's behind that, I'm immediately drawn to turn over to Matthew chapter 4. If you want to flip a page in your Bible or so and turn to there. And I'm drawn there 
because of the idea of the evil behind Herod, and I'm also drawn there because of this idea of Egypt that's highlighted in these verses. Because you remember the Old Testament people of God, when they came out of Egypt, what were some things they did? What were some ways that they stumbled and didn't really trust God? Before they had even gotten out of there, right, they said, goodness, Pharaoh and all his guys are right behind us. We're not going to make it. And Moses, you brought us out here. Why don't you just let us go back? We'd have been better off to die in Egypt than to die out here in the wilderness. They're standing in front of this body of water. How are we going to get across there? What miracle are you going to do, God, to allow us to pass through this? And then you recall as well, when they got out, immediately, God's already done this amazing thing of rescuing them. They said, God, no, how, how are you going to feed us? We don't have anything to eat. We're upset because we got no food. And God provides manna from heaven. And no sooner have they filled their bellies with manna from heaven and seen God do that in addition to all the other things. Don't you remember when Moses went up on the mountain? And they got pretty frustrated. It felt like, hey, God's nowhere around. God's representative has kind of wandered off. And they took all the gold that God had allowed them to bring out of Egypt that was meant to be used ultimately for the temple and pure and holy worship purposes, and they instead fashioned a, a golden calf and decided to bow down to that idol. So have that picture in your mind. And think about how Jesus represents us. And we don't have a lot of time to camp out on it today, but let me just kind of come to a conclusion of our time by reading through Matthew chapter 4 as Jesus goes toe-to-toe with the evil one and gives us hope in the midst of that darkness as well. It says at the beginning of Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Remember in the Old Testament, something went before them. Fire uh, by night, or cloud by day, fire by night went before them. They were led out into it. Jesus is led by the Spirit. Where? Where were the Old Testament people led out to? The wilderness. It's where Jesus goes. Jesus was led there to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus chooses to be hungry. The Old Testament people of God, like us, getting frustrated because they were getting a little hungry. He chooses to get hungry. Verse 3, the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. God, we need you to provide for us. We need some bread. The Old Testament people said, Here Jesus is being offered to you. Yeah, just use a tiny little bit of your divine power to turn these stones into bread. Jesus says, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's coming through. He's trusting God where the Old Testament people didn't. Read on with me. Then the devil took him to the holy city, set him up on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. He'll command his angels concerning you. On their hands we will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said, as it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to him, all these I'll give to you if you fall down and worship me. Remember, Moses was just gone away for a few minutes. And we sometimes feel like God just wandered off for just a little while. And we're running to our idols just like they were. Listen to what Jesus says. 
Be gone, Satan, for it's written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus perfectly represents you and me. We can cheer for him literally on the field of redemption because he's going to succeed in all that we need for him to do for us. He's going to bring that comfort that we need in the midst of a broken world. He brings that forgiveness that each one of us needs because of the evil in our own lives. And guess what? He goes toe-to-toe with the evil one. Here, just a short little picture of what he would eventually do when he offered his life up on the cross and through his divine power and the raising power of his Father was lifted up for our resurrection. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that we have in Christ this representative and that your scriptures show us that uh, even though it's a little bit challenging for us to get at in these Matthew verses, it's clear, Lord, that that's what you want us to see right off the bat. Right before Jesus has really grown up or done anything or said anything, just as he comes into the world, he's already representing us, bringing us up out that we might be brought forth as your children, brought forth to your heavenly kingdom, brought forth to new life in you in this life, and we praise you and worship you for that this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen.